So we've been uh, thinking together this summer, all summer long, about uh, the life that uh, God wants to give each of us. Uh, It's called a number of things, but uh, one of the things that this life is called is eternal life. It's a life that starts now, but goes on for eternity. And uh, Jesus said in John 10.10, kind of our theme verse, right, that I have come that you might have life and that you might have it abundantly. And so we've been kind of camped out on that word abundant. What does it mean? And we've looked at this life from a number of different dimensions. And uh, ultimately, it's God's very life in us, right? Uh, Remember, we saw that Peter says that if we believe God and we believe the promises that he's uh, given us, uh, that we actually become partakers of the divine nature, that God's nature begins to take root in us and changes us uh, to be like him. It's really this abundant life is God's life uh, that's inside of us. Now, I don't suppose you remember, but uh, a while back we were studying Moses, right? We were looking at Moses as a a leader and somebody that God used and kind of a prototype of Jesus coming. And uh, you might remember in uh, Exodus uh, 33, Uh, After the incident with the golden calf, after all God had done, they made this calf and they were worshiping and having a party on the golden calf. And uh, God comes to Moses and he says, you know what, Moses, you take these people and go up from here. I'm not going with you. These people are so stiff-necked, I'm afraid that if I go with you and they mess up again, I would destroy them and just start over. You remember that? It's in uh, Exodus chapter 33. And so Moses goes back to God. He goes into the tent of meeting where God can uh, meet with Moses. And uh, here's what Moses said to God. He said, uh, if your presence doesn't go with me, don't bring us up from here. Don't send us forward. If you don't come with us, if you're not in us, if you're not with us, if if you're gonna stay behind, don't send us. I'm not going, Moses is basically telling God. And then Moses asks a great question. And this is a question that uh, you might think about in verse 16. He says, For how shall it be known that I have found favor in your sight, I and your people? Is it not in your going with us so that we are distinct? How is the world going to know that we're your people if we're no different than the world? And if you don't go with us, how are we going to be any different? than the rest of the people. And he says, I and your people, uh, how are we going to be different from every other people on the face of the earth? Now, that's a great question, and it's a question that carries over into the New Testament where God invites the church also to be distinct, to come out of the world, and to be the people of God, and to be distinct, and to be different, and to be separated, to, to be holy, the The word holy just means separate for God's uh, purposes. And so God calls his people to be different. And so this morning, I want to suggest to you that this new life that Jesus came to give us, this new identity, this new, uh, you know, uh, life that we live, uh, being partakers of the very nature of God, also comes with a new purpose for our life. That God not only calls us to himself and gives us his life, but he also calls us to a purpose for our living. Now, there are many places in the Bible where uh, 
especially in the New Testament, where God talks about our purpose, and one that we're familiar with because we've referred to it a couple times, is uh, in Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 10, uh, where the Bible says, you know, that you and I are God's workmanship. God's workmanship. Like God has put thought and energy and effort into our lives to make us who we really are. Just like Mary read for us from Psalm 139, before you were ever even born, God thought through your life. And he has a plan for your life. Ephesians 2.10 says, you know, uh, that we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus, whole new life, born again, created in Christ Jesus uh, to do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. So God has a plan for each of our lives. God has a plan for each one of our lives. The 139th Psalm in this 16th verse, you might ask the question, you know, uh, do I believe this? It says, you know, your eyes saw my unformed substance, and in your book were written, every one of them, the days that were formed for me. Now I ask myself, do I believe that? Especially on a bad day. Right? The day, every day that we live, God has a plan. We have a purpose for uh, being here. God has a plan for our lives and before we were ever even born. And, uh, you know, if you uh, kind of think about this, and, and Jeremiah, Jer- Jeremiah was an Old Testament prophet, and uh, Jeremiah uh, chapter 1 and verse 5, here's what God says to Jeremiah. Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, before you were even conceived, I knew you, Right? Before you were formed in the womb, I knew you, and before you were born, I consecrated you. I had a plan for your life, right? And I'm working it out. I consecrated you to uh, my plan, and I appointed you a prophet to the nations before you were born. So I think, well, do we moderns, you know, whatever we are, do we still believe that before we're ever born, God put tremendous thought and energy into our lives, and that there's a plan for us, and that we have a purpose for being here. Sometimes, you know, we get a little crabby. We might say, well, you know, I wish I lived in the 1930s, you know, because life was better back then, and, you know, and we just kind of highlight the stuff that was good, and we forget about all the stuff that was tough, and we're not happy. Like, but did God plan for us to be here at this particular time? Yes. Did God choose our parents and how we grew up, and where we grew up, and you know our nationalities, and so many of these things. Uh, is it really true that God has his hand in making us who we are because he has a plan for us? There are a number of places, I think, you know, <laughs> there's a number of ways that God describes our relationship with him, and one of the most basic, God says, look, I'm the potter, you're the clay. You ever think about that? You know, you're the hunk of unformed substance that's spinning on the wheel going no place and I'm the potter who's going to squeeze you and prod you and make you into something I'm the potter you're you're the clay I'm the shepherd you're the sheep you know I'm the vine you're the branch and God has a way of sort of describing these various uh, levels of relationship with him that we can kind of move through one of the other places that I think 
uh, talks about um, perspective on uh, our purpose is in Matthew chapter 6, um, where, where the context, Jesus is talking about uh, people who are worrying and who are full of anxiety, all right? And, and it's about worry and anxiety, the whole context there. And then in Matthew chapter 6 and verse uh, 33, Jesus puts it like this. Here's your purpose. Forget about all that worry and anxiety. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all that other stuff I'll add to your life. All the stuff that you worry about, what am I going to eat? How am I going to have enough money? What clothes am I going to wear? Do I have a house? Et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. All that stuff, God says, I'll take care of it. You put me first. Now, we, most of us, right, we, we live just the opposite. We say, well, first I got to get a job and I got to get a house and I got to get some money and I got to get some food and I got to get clothes and I got I to get myself all set up. And then if there's anything left over, I'll serve God. And here's Jesus saying, no, that's not your purpose. You're going to be different than everybody else. I'm pulling you out of the world to be my people, and my people are going to be distinct. And here's what you're going to do. You're going to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and I'll add all that other stuff to your life. Do you trust me? Do you believe me? Do you think you could live like that? Uh, could, could that be our purpose to kind of be so different in the world that we would draw attention to the God uh, that we are here to worship this morning. And um, <clears throat> a couple of years ago, well, quite a few years ago now, there was a pastor out on the West Coast named Rick Warren. You've probably heard of him. And uh, he wrote a book that just sold like wildfire, all in Christian communities, called The Purpose Driven Life. Remember that? The Purpose Driven Life. The very first sentence, in the very first chapter, the very first sentence was, it's not about you. <laughs> and then the whole rest of the book goes on to say, it's about God's plan for your life. There's a purpose, and it's bigger than you. You know, it's God's purpose for your life. And so this is huge, I think, when it comes to our attitude toward ourselves. How do you think about yourself? Do you think, well, you know, you ever ask the question, why am I here? What's my purpose in life? Am I just a placeholder? Uh, you know, what, what's, what's my purpose in life? And what's my attitude toward myself uh, when it comes to uh, thinking about God having a plan for me? Because God's already invested himself in you. And the truth of the matter is, you are a very unique person. There's not another person. There's billions of people on the planet. There's nobody exactly like you or me. Now, for some of us, we're like, well, that's a good thing, right? <laughs> but think about that. Think of the creativity of God in making every one of us unique. Isn't that something when you say billions of people, no two people exactly alike? I mean, it's just the creativity of our God. We're unique. And, and, and he gives his son, right, to wipe our slate clean so that everything that's wrong with us is forgiven. And if we believe it, we're just like that, entirely different from the world around us. We're distinct. In fact, you remember Peter in 2 Peter um, chapter 1, verse 9, he says, listen, if you forget that you've been cleansed from your sin, you could miss your whole purpose for being here. Remember when he says that? If you forget, you're you know, nearsighted, you're blind, 
and you forget about that you're forgiven and it makes you so different from everybody around you and you have a message as to how everybody can be forgiven, you know, and, and you're unique, you're distinct. But if you forget, I think it's why Jesus instituted the Lord's Supper. He said, hey, never forget this. I went to the cross so that you could be clean, so that my righteousness could be credited to your account. You are different from everybody else in the world. Your slate is clean. You're forgiven. Heaven is secure. I took care of it, you know? Uh, So unique. Uh, I think if you forget that you're forgiven, you won't be a forgiving person. And if you're not a forgiving person, you're not going to have very long-lasting relationships because no relationships last without forgiveness, not even with God. Do you realize that uh, in uh, Matthew chapter 6 is where Jesus is part of the Sermon on the Mount and he teaches the disciples what we call the Lord's Prayer? The disciples are like, teach us how to pray. They're watching Jesus pray and they're like, hey, teach us how to pray. So Jesus lays out the Lord's Prayer. The next sentence after he gives us the Lord's Prayer is this. If you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you don't forgive others... Their trespasses, neither will your father forgive you your trespasses. That's a scary verse to me. If you don't forgive, God's not going to forgive you. That is a scary thing. That is huge, right, when you think about it. And so understanding and embracing our purpose, I think, also builds confidence in ourselves. If you believe that God has already invested in you, if you believe that God has already put a ton of thought into your life and, and kind of mapped out each day and knows exactly what's going on and so forth, if you believe that, I think it changes the whole sense of confidence you have about living your life for him. Uh, if you don't think God believes in you, then you're not going to think, you're not going to believe in yourself, right? You're going to have a really hard time just relaxing. goes back to the anxiety and worry thing because we're always doing what we think we need to do to gain self-esteem when already we're the people of God, sons and daughters, as Mike said, of the living God. In fact, God says in the Bible, call me Abba, Dad. Get to know me at that level. Get past the potter and the clay. Get past the sheep and the shepherd. Get back. I'm your father. You're my daughter or my son. So understanding this, and so uh, here's uh, Peter uh, talks about this too, our purpose, and in 1 Peter, uh, he describes uh, in his first letter who we are, and then he goes on and talks about what our purpose is, and I think, you know, this is a, again, we have to ask the question, you know, do we really believe this? Uh, 1 Peter 2, verse 9, you are a chosen race. I just think about that. You are a chosen race. You are a spiritual race. You know what? It doesn't matter whether you're Italian or Swedish. It doesn't matter if you're German or Polish or whatever. You have been raised to a higher level. You are a whole different race. You are a spiritual race. And you can still enjoy your you know, Swedish food and Italian food and, and all the rest of kind of what makes you a little bit unique. But your real identity is you're a chosen race. You, you are part of a race. Think of all the race stuff that people fight about. 
All of those people in all of those races could just be lifted up to God and become part of this chosen race. You are a chosen race, Peter says. As a Christian, you know, you are a royal priest, part of a royal priesthood. Now, that's an interesting phrase because royal refers to a king. We are priests of the king of kings, of Jesus Christ. He's the king of kings, right? No separation of church and state here. A royal priesthood. And when Jesus comes back and returns to earth and sets up his earthly kingdom, this will be fulfilled, right? And we will be his... What is a priest, anyway? A priest is somebody who stands between God and people. You are a priest. You know people that don't know God, and you know God. And a priest's job is to represent God to people who don't know him and to represent people to God through prayer and whatever else. A priest is, you know, that's who we are. Peter says, this is your identity. You are a royal priesthood as the church. You are a royal priesthood. And look, he says, you're a holy nation. You're a nation unto yourselves. The worldwide Christianity, the worldwide church is like a nation unto itself. It's like a unique, distinct group of people who are called out of the world. The word holy just means separate. You know, God is holy because he's so different. He's not just another one of us, right? He's high and lifted up and he's beyond, you know, uh, he's holy. He's separated from us. You're a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession. A people who are partakers of the very nature of God. You are really unique and special. Why? Why? Why are you doing all this, God? Why did you think about all this ahead of time? Why is this a plan that you've invested since eternity in in us and so forth? Here's why. That you may proclaim. That word proclaim, this is the only place that it occurs in the entire Bible. It's a very unique word. It's only ever used here. And it means to tell forth. Why have you done all this, God? Well, so that you can proclaim the excellencies of God. So that you can glorify God. What does it mean to glorify? It's such a churchy word. It just means to brag on or to make somebody look good. If you're going to glorify somebody, what do you do? Well, you just brag on them and you make them look good. If you're going to glorify God, how do you do it? Well, you brag on them. And it's what Peter says. God's done all this, called you out of the world, made you unique, distinct, different, and so forth, in order that you might proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of the darkness and into his marvelous light. That's our job. That's our purpose. What's our purpose here? Our purpose is to proclaim the excellencies. That's a pretty easy job, actually, right? I mean, our God's perfect. He's done everything for us to proclaim the excellencies. And so, and then Peter goes on, verse 10. He says, you know, once you were not a people, but now you're God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you've received mercy. God has called us out of the world. He's got a purpose for us to be here. And um, we shouldn't be limited and we should understand, you know, uh, our identity, which leads to a purpose to glorify him, uh, to proclaim the excellencies uh, of his uh, truth and 
Uh, his word, uh, Paul, I think, says the same thing in Second Corinthians uh, chapter 5. You might remember Second uh, Corinthians 5.8 and forward. Paul puts it like this. He says, um, if anybody's in Christ, right, that's us, they're a new creation. They're an entirely new person, right? They're a new creation. And um, he goes on and says, the old has passed away, the new has come. All of this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself, and then, listen, gave us the ministry of reconciliation. What's your purpose? We've been given the ministry of reconciliation. We're priests. We bring people and God together. That's the reconciliation between God. People were separated from God by their sin, and we have the ministry, we have the glorious ministry, the the really fun ministry, I would say, right, Uh, of of, of sharing the message of reconciliation. In Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them. Have you ever sat down with somebody and they sort of kind of unloaded about how they were feeling guilty? They might not have used the word guilty, but they're talking about, you know, I really did something stupid and, you know, I really am sorry for it and this and that and the other thing. And they're there telling you this and you have the opportunity to announce to them, do you know God is not holding trespasses against people? Do you know you shouldn't be talking to me, you should be talking to God. Do you know that all sin is not against, you know, it's against each other, but it's also against God. And we have been given the privilege to just announce to people that their trespasses have been forgiven. And God has, he goes on to say, entrusted to us the message of reconciliation. We have been entrusted with a treasure, with a power, Think about how the message of the gospel has changed your life. The gospel changes everything. Just think about how God has changed your life. We have been trusted with the message that will enable people to have totally changed their life. That's our purpose. That's why we're in the world, you know. Now, um, um, I think God never asks us to do something without equipping us, right? Without giving us what we need to do it. Uh, He doesn't hang us out to dry like that. And so uh, the Bible says that every single one of us has been given a gift, a spiritual enablement or a spiritual ability from God. We all have natural abilities, right? Uh, But in addition to that, when we become a Christian, God entrusts a gift, uh, an enabling, uh, a spiritual ability, if you will, uh, to each and every one of us. I like to call it a gift mix because it's not just usually one single gift, although one might be prominent, but uh, God gives us various gifts that empower us to be able to serve him. And so there's a number of places in the scriptures that talk about this. And uh, if I were to ask you this morning, do you know, you know what your spiritual gift is? Before you were born, God's thinking about you. He's forming, shaping, putting you in a family, putting you in a place, growing you up, exposing you to various experiences through your life. You're growing, growing, growing. And you get to today and uh, somewhere along the way, did you ever figure out like, well, what gift has God given me? What unique ability or what, uh, you know, what's not natural for me, but I'm able to do it in a way that serves him. 
And uh, if you've never done this, it's really pretty easy. You can just go online and just Google uh, spiritual gift inventory, right? And you'll get a number of different uh, inventories that'll come up. You fill out the inventory, you score it, and at the end, it'll kick out, you know, well, here's what this inventory says you're gifted at. And, uh, but in addition to that, I mean, I, I encourage people to do that, but in addition to that, whoever knows you the best, just ask them. What do you think God has gifted me? Now, you know, there's a number of things about gifts. Number one, you don't get to choose what gift God chooses. It's specifically in Ephesians, you know, the Holy Spirit chooses which gifts he gives to which person. You, you don't, you know. And gifts are given to benefit other people, not us, right? They're, they're to be used in ministry and to serve our purpose. Um, Barb and I sometimes, uh, and I try to do this with uh, couples that I've married, is to find out what's your spiritual gift because you will see life through your spiritual gift. One thing that you don't want to do is kind of expect everybody else to have your gift. You see things a certain way because God has gifted you in certain ways and then you kind of expect everybody. It's obvious, isn't it, that you should think like this or that you should see it like this. No, it's not obvious because that person has a whole different gift mix. Barbara and I sometimes would go to the hospital to visit somebody, right? Somebody's in the hospital, and we'd, uh, you know, she'd sit on one side of the bed, I'd sit on the other, and uh, she has the gift of mercy. That's, that's really how she is. It's how God wired her. And so she's there like, oh, you poor person, you must feel so bad, and oh, look at all these beautiful cards, and look at all the people who love you, and, and she's going on and on. And, uh, and I kind of am a little bit more prophetic, and so I'm sitting there, and I'm saying, so... You got some kind of sin going on in your life that God's got you laying in bed here sick? You know, one of the reasons people get sick in the Bible is because they got some kind of sin going on, you know? You got anything like that happening in your life in private and da-da-da-da-da? So, Barbara and I get back in the car, we're driving home from the hospital, you know, and we're starting to argue and fight. She's like, you are really terrible to that person, (laughs) And I'm like, well, a lot of good you did, you know. You're just you're not trying to figure out why he's here and what God's trying to do in his life and straighten it out and everything. You're just loving him up, you know. And you know, and we're arguing in the car because why? Because we have different gifts. We see things from different angles, and we kind of expect the other person to see what we see, you know. And that's just a bad thing to do. And uh, we could go through the scriptures and talk about that and so forth, but. The truth is, we're all called to serve, and we're all gifted in some way or another, and usually people who are close to us can kind of discern what your gift might be. Uh, if you're taking notes, 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 12, uh, that's where Paul talks about the gifts. The, there's Romans, there's passage, Peter has a passage about gifts. I mean, all of the uh, writers in the New Testament talk about this, and uh, the truth of the matter is, you know, we're we're all taking the life that God has given us and exchanging it for something. Every day we're living out another 24 hours and we're exchanging the life God's given us for something. And uh, what I'm trying to make the case for is that we should exchange it for serving God and uh, making him first. And I read this, I thought it was pretty good, so uh, I'm just going to read it to you. It's let's get rid of our excuses, right? When I say, hey, you got a gift and you should be using it and, and you know, the gifts are for everybody and Paul goes on in, in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and says the church is like a body. 
like your body, your body is one body, but it's got all these different parts, and all the different parts have different functions, but all the other, all the parts are dependent upon each other in order for your body to work, right? And so every person in the church is like a part of the church is called the body of Christ, and every person has a part, and if you don't do your part, I get sick, and if I don't do my part, you get sick. And, you know, we're all dependent upon one another. And so there's no people sitting on the sidelines, but a lot of people have excuses. And so I came across this. Uh, this is a quote, right? Uh, Abraham thought he was too old to serve. Remember, it was, he was 100 years old before he had his son. And God had made all these promises to him, and he, he just said, you know, I'm too old. He, his wife, Sarah, laughed and blah, blah, blah. And then uh, Jacob was insecure. Leah was unattractive father had to marry her off at night. Do you remember that whole story? Uh, Joseph was abused by his family. Moses stuttered. Gideon was poor. Samson was codependent. You remember that lady Delilah, right? Um, Rahab was immoral. David had an affair and then murdered her husband. Elijah was suicidal. Jeremiah was depressed. Jonah was reluctant. Naomi uh, was a widow. John the Baptist was eccentric. Peter was impulsive. Martha worried too much. The Samaritan woman had five failed marriages. Uh, uh, Zacchaeus was unpopular. He's a tax collector. Thomas had his doubts. Paul had his poor health. Timothy was timid. And yet God used each of these people in very significant ways to serve him. Right? So I'm going to just take you through one more passage of Scripture. In John chapter 15, uh, I think Jesus tells us in John chapter 15 how we can glorify God. How is it that we can glorify God? And so in John chapter 15 and verse 8, here's what Jesus says. uh, By this is my Father glorified that you bear much fruit. You want to glorify God? That's our purpose. Ultimately, we could narrow it all down and say our purpose in life is to glorify God. Uh, Jesus said, look, this this glorifies my Father when you bear fruit. Now, this passage talks about fruit, more fruit, and much fruit. And what uh, Jesus is saying, by this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. Much fruit. And so, you know, the fruit of the Spirit, right, is love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and gentleness and faithfulness and self-control and all of those, the fruits of the Spirit. So what Jesus is saying, listen, when you have a connection with God and the Holy Spirit gets in your life and you take on the divine nature, you're going to start loving like God loves you. In fact, Jesus said, you know, you, you need to love like I love you. And that love, all of these are relational because remember what the abundant life is? It satisfies you, but then it spills over onto other people. You become a more loving person and the people around you will be loved more by you. You become a more joyful person. Let God's joy fill up your life and get excited about your future and so forth. That joy is going to spill over onto other people. It's the abundant life. And so what Jesus is saying is when those, you know, when you as one of God's kids show up with more of this fruit in your life, God's glorified because it comes from him. It makes us distinct. It sets us apart from the rest of the world, right? And so the first thing Jesus says is, by this is my father glorified that you bear much fruit. Well, okay, what's the secret to bearing much fruit? How do you go about doing that? 
Well, if you back up uh, a couple of verses, verse 5 says, I'm the vine, you're the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. What's the secret to bearing more fruit? Abiding. What does it mean to abide? It just means to hang out with Jesus. It means to walk in the spirit. It means to listen, right, to God's voice through his word, through scripture, through books, through classes, through Sunday school classes, through music, through what, wherever you hear, you're hanging out with other Christian people who have the spirit living in them so that God can speak to you through them and so forth. What's the secret to bearing much fruit? Abiding. Just hang out with Jesus, right? Okay, um, the more we abide, the more fruit we bear, the more fruit we bear, the more God is glorified, okay? Well, what's the secret to abiding, right? Verses 9 and 10. What's the secret to abiding? As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you'll abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. I'll tell you what the secret to abiding is. Obedience. If you abide with the Lord for a while, guess what's going to happen? He's going to start talking, and he's going to start saying things that are different than you think, and you're going to have to make a decision. Am I going to go his way, or am I going to hold on to myself? You know, lean not on your own understanding, but in all your ways, all your ways, all the different facets of your life, socially, financially, uh, career-wise, you know, family-wise, everything. Because if God's going to start talking to you, you're going to be challenged to decide. Am I going to go his way or am I going to hang on to my old ways and so forth? And so if you obey, I mean, what, what makes you not abide? Disobedience. Oh, I can't go spend time in prayer with God. I've got to confess again that I just blew it and, you know, and, and so forth. I'm just going to skip it today. And so there goes my devotional life, you know, and, you know, oh, man, uh, you know, my neighbors know what's going on and, you know, I don't want to get together with my small group because, you know, uh, they'll know and I just don't want to deal with it. And so I drop out of the small group and this and that and the other thing. And listen, the secret to ob- abiding is obeying. The more I obey, the more I'll abide. The more I abide, right, the more fruit I produce. The more fruit I produce, the more God is glorified. What's the secret, you know, behind obeying? I'm so glad you asked. The secret behind obeying is this. Here's what Jesus says next. This is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved it. You want to know what the secret behind obedience is? Loving. The more you love, the more you obey. The more you obey, the more you abide. The more you abide, the more fruit you produce. The more fruit you produce, the more God is glorified through your life and so forth. What's the secret behind loving? Again, I'm glad you asked because it's right here in the Bible. It says, um, Jesus is still talking. He says, no longer do I call you servants because a servant doesn't know what his master is doing, but I've called you friends for all that I've heard from the Father, I've made known to you. You know what the secret to loving is? Knowing. The more you know the truth about God, the more you know the truth about the gospel, the more you know the truth about the future and the prophecies that God has revealed about what's going to happen to us in the future, the more you know, the more you'll love. 
The more you love, the more you obey, the more you obey, the more you abide, the more you abide, the more fruit you make, the more fruit you make, the more God is glorified. It's like Jesus is giving us the secrets behind how to really glorify our God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we uh, bow our heads before you because, you know, there's way more to you and to our relationship with you than we even imagine. And uh, in fact, you tell us that, that we can't even imagine all that you have actually done for those who really love you. And so we just pray, Father, that you would help us, that you would uh, uh, come alongside of us and fill us with your uh, self, with your truth, with your spirit. Help us, Father, to be uh, fruit-bearing Christians in order that we might bring glory to you in the midst of a world that is fast losing sight of the God who made us and who loves us and who offered his son for us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.